0: Good morning. So um, to keep you updated on what's going on with our building, we have uh, the appraisals done. Everything's finished. Now we're just waiting for the bank to um, do whatever they do when it comes to the loan. I think approve it is probably what they're looking toward. And, um, and then we'll be starting. We actually have got the, uh, the schedule and the plan uh, already of when stuff is going to be showing up here, materials and, and, um, and equipment and things like that in the next couple of weeks, and so you'll start seeing some of that kind of stuff around there. Uh, we, we will uh, we'll let you know when the bank finalizes everything. We'll let you know kind of what the, um, as close as we can get to what it looks like the budget's going to be for this first phase. Uh, everything in the first phase is only going to take, um, it's going to take less than two months to do it all. We're looking at about 45 days to accomplish all of that. And then, and then next spring we'll come back and we'll look at where how, the rest of the building. We'll look at building cost. Hopefully, they've gone down. They're already kind of starting to go down. At least wood is, and so hopefully it'll affect it. Because when it jumped up, it changed our bill. It changed our our um, our, our numbers of what it was going to cost by a million and a half dollars. And 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 so that was that, that um, that'll send guys like me to an early grave. So. Uh, so hopefully they'll be coming down and we'll relook at this in the spring, what we're going to try to accomplish then, and we'll let you know. But, but basically, um, contribute monthly, contribute um, in like offering mentalities, like, you know, a bigger chunk stuff, and then we're going to have a day, uh, well, we have times, different days, when we're all going to get up here together and, and, um, and dig and do some things like that. And so we'll let you know, we'll let you know what that looks like. Uh, when that happens, because we know we can save quite a bit of money uh, doing it that way, and so um, and we've got a shovel for everybody. I, I bought, went and bought one for Lynn Worden uh, just this last week, so we're all excited about that. Uh, we'll let you know as this gets a little closer when that's going to happen. Something that happened in the um, uh, on the on, on the world scene this last week. It's been happening for a while, but but Israel reported about it this last week, and I haven't seen it anywhere else, which is, which has been a little, um, I guess, I guess normal. I I don't, this always kind of surprises me, but I don't know why it does, but we're not seeing this in any other, uh, we're not seeing any American news reporting or anything like that, but this is obviously very important to Israel, but they reported that Iran is about one month away from a nuclear warhead now. And, uh, that, that should be one of the most important things in the news, uh, that, that is going to have as much. Th- that's end time stuff. You know, that's beginning of the tribulation, signing of the peace treaty stuff. And, uh, and it's not being reported really uh, anywhere in the United States. Th- these are the kind of things that we should be praying about and processing and thinking. I, I, I preached the message a couple weeks ago about the uh, tribulation and about Yom Kippur and uh, Rosh Hashanah and all these different things. And. Um, and that, the, that this year, the date's much earlier. It was September uh, 7th or 8th or something like that. And I read some stuff. The last two or three weeks, I've, I've read quite a bit. I was sent an article. I don't remember who sent it. Somebody in this room sent it to me. But I was looking at that and, and started looking at some other articles just to check and be sure. And the Jewish calendar, for whatever reason, is off. And uh, they, the, everybody knows it. The Jews know it. Everybody else knows it. But their, their Jewish calendar is off, so their dates are off on their feasts. And so the Feast of Trumpets is not really, uh, according to the dates earlier, it's actually not going to happen until October 7th, according to biblical timelines, not according to just Jewish timelines. And so you've got a couple more weeks before the, uh, before the rapture. So um, use it wisely. <clears throat> okay me uh, to Matthew chapter 22. <clears throat> so last week I talked about truth and how um, truth really is the foundation of everything. And, and, and it really, if you think about it, that does make sense. Um, God's word has to be truth. Jesus, the word, has to be truth, not speak truth. And that's a big difference between us and God. We can speak truth, but we can't be truth. Um, we can live our life truthfully, and all those kind of things. But God is truth, and uh, God, and that is the foundation. This, this God being truth is the foundation mentality, and I really believe that's the that's the um, that's the foundation of, of our salvation. It's everything the, the relationship with God has got to be built upon truth, um, and that's and that's also why I believe that. And this is why I'm speaking about this this morning. I believe that the, that what's tied together, what goes hand in hand there is relationship that that we have we have truth we have god we have understanding that and faith is believing uh, god it's not just believing in god it's believing god and that means that we have to know who he is and knows what his word says and that's what truth is and then relationship loving god is is uh, built upon that truth now that kind of makes sense you can't really uh, serve god love god if if you don't really believe him. Believe in him, believe the things that he says believe him. And so they're, they're intertwined together. And so the, the next part of that is relationship between each other. I believe that relationships in the church are the, are the, the most important thing that there is in our, in our growth and our spiritual development. We, you can't do this in isolation. I thought years ago that you could. In fact, I, I strongly believed this. I was um, 20 years old, that's part of the reason, that I, that I believed you could do this separately was in maturity. But um, I was 20 years old. I became the youth pastor of a church, and I really thought this way. I thought, even though I didn't have a clue what I was doing, I thought that God had called me because he needed to bless the church through me. He needed to bless the church with me, that I was a very gifted, intelligent human being And therefore, I was a gift to the church. (laughs) And that the the church was going to be blessed because of my um, teaching and my um, uh, eloquence and just whatever, right? And I never thought to myself that I needed the church. Looking back now, I can say this, that I needed the church more than they ever needed me. Right? That I needed people more than they ever needed me. I never, I never thought that way, at least for the first four or five years that I was um, a youth pastor. I, I really didn't process, I thought I could live my Christianity by myself, that, that, that I had all the things that I needed. I had gone to one year of Bible school, and um, although I failed all my classes, I went. I had everything I needed, I had a Bible. I had the Holy Spirit, so I had everything I needed. And, and I, I'm, you know, I'm saying it a little jokingly, but I really did. I really thought I, I could do this whole thing without people. And then, and then through a lot of stuff called life and difficulties and things and God working on me, I realized you cannot serve Jesus Christ without people. You have to have each other. We're a body. You can't, a toe cannot serve uh, without the rest of the body. There's no, there's no existence for a toe without a foot. And there's no existence for a foot without a body to support that. that you know what I'm saying. Right? <laughs> so, so here's the thing with this. Guys, I need you and you need me. But here's the reality. It starts with what I talked about last week. It starts with truth. We, we see where Jesus even says that you can't worship God without spirit and truth. You've got it. It's a spiritual endeavor, but you have to have truth to accomplish it. Okay? You can't just um, arbitrarily, in a vacuum, worship God. Worshiping God comes from something. It comes from some place, some source. And that starts with an understanding of who God is, at least in our limited way. We're not going to understand God completely. But however you can understand God, that's where it starts. And that's where worship begins. Worship begins. Is the revelation that God is. And then worship begins there. It's the same thing with relationships. Relationships cannot be built on feelings and connection. It has to be built upon truth. We know this because the only thing you have to have is a relationship where there is truth has been taken away. There's been lies or, or brokenness, or infidelity, or something. And it takes a long time to rebuild something that we would call a relationship, when actually the relationship didn't change. It was what it was built upon, which is truth. We have to have relationships, but we have to have the truth of God to build them upon. And even in relationship with God, we have to have the truth of God to build this on. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees with his reply, they met together to question him again. You know, that's an arrogant little sentence there. The Pharisees were saying, oh, Jesus shut down the Sadducees, but we're smarter than them, so we'll trick him. That's what that sentence means. One of them, an expert in religious law, tried to trap him with this question. Have you ever had somebody try to trap you with a question? I was, I was watching a comedian the other day, a great, great guy, Very intelligent. Um, he was talking about this transgender stuff, and he says, you know, he says, if some guy comes up to me and says he wants to be called a woman, he said, I've got some questions for him. Can you prove to me you're a woman? Now, I'm thinking biologically, right? Can you get pregnant? Um, Do you have ovaries? You know, simple things that, that separates men from women, right? And he said, no, he says, let me ask you some questions. Can you turn a compliment into a confusing attack? He's, he said, um, there was a bunch of them he had. Proof that you're a woman, right, kind of things. He said, you tell your, you tell your, you tell your wife, you look nice today. Oh, I didn't look nice yesterday? You're like, what? How did, how did that, what happened there? <clears throat> There's other ways we can prove male, female. So, that has nothing to do with what I'm talking about. But this idea that we're going to, to be trapped, you can't trap Jesus, now, why is that important for us right now today? You say, oh, sure, they couldn't trap Jesus then. Guys, we can't trap Jesus today, but we try sometimes. We try to trap Jesus into our little thinking and our paradigm to see if, if we can get the answers that we want that will help us live our life the way we want rather than what God's Word says. I've caught myself doing it. You read through the Bible and you read something and you're like, well, that's really convicting. But what if... Right? You start coming up with your own things. Teacher, they're talking to Jesus. Teacher, which is the most important commandment of the law of Moses? Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Everything about you, you have to love. That means it has to be, your mind is included, which means it has to be rational and it has to be truthful. This is where some atheists will pick on Christianity. And they say, well, you can't prove God, so how can you serve him rationally? You can't, you can't have a cognitive connection of who God is, and so therefore you're serving something that you can't, it's, it's an abstract idea, it's not real, so how can you do that? But God says he wants you to love him with your mind, too. Because to me, faith is, is, is more than just feeling something. Faith is built upon a knowledge that I have. You say, well, you can't prove that God is real. I, I, I know that I know that he's real. God has proved it to me many times over. I don't have to prove it to you. God's proved it to me. That's where my faith is. Do you understand the difference in that? It's extremely important. This is why everybody gets caught up in apologetics. And I love apologetics. I, I am wired that way. I want to prove to you. You can tell the way I preach. I want to prove to you stuff. It's not just, well, let's just kind of believe it. I want to prove it to you. But here's the thing. At the end of the day, I can't prove Jesus to you. I can't prove he was God. I mean, he was a person that lived, but I can't prove He's God. And I can't prove the Holy Spirit to you. I can't prove God to you. But he has proved himself to me. And that's where faith comes in. And that's why I know. It's a, it's, a, it's a cognitive reality for me. A rational uh, uh, understanding. God is real and he's there. That's my mind that I'm serving him with. It's built upon truth. He says this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. It's, it's just as important to love others as it is to love God. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophet are based on these two commandments. All of the truth of God's law that was presented through the Old Testament, all of the truth of the reality of God that was presented by the prophets in the Old Testament, all of this... Is, is all, you can put all of it, pile it all together and put it on those two commandments. Love God with everything about you and love your neighbor as yourself. And those two commandments will hold and carry the weight of all of the law and all of the prophets, all of the truth of everything that we know about God. Love God with everything, love your neighbor as yourself. If we can get those two things done, we will be obeying all the other stuff. You say, well, how, how does that work? He, he explains this to and I'm going to walk us through this. But he explains this to us through scripture that you don't have to cognitively be trying to obey all the laws. Now, it's not a bad idea to do that, but you don't have to always be, you know, starting every day saying, OK, I'm going to obey the Ten Commandments and you quote the Ten Commandments yourself. I'm going to obey all of the I'm going to I'm going to say no to all the sin in, in Galatians chapter five. And, and you go through all that stuff. You, you don't. You don't have to, to cognitively process all of that if you are completely, passionately sold out to God with everything about you and you are committed to the people around you. You will be obeying God's laws. You will be through everything. One of the things that happened in, on the uh, bike ride that I was on, there was a bunch of uh, moments for me, a bunch of epiphanies, <clears throat> different epiphanies like, I don't like riding my bike in 100-degree weather, things like that. But there was, there was this moment we're riding along, and, um, and the, the guy that is in charge of the ride, so, so this was a New Mexico Assemblies of God district ride for missions, for Speed the Light. Four of us from Colorado came to check it out and to do things. Some, some four guys from Texas came and a couple from Oklahoma. But it's a New Mexico ride Okay, set up by the, the guy in charge, is the district youth director, of New Mexico. Our district used to have a district youth director. We don't have that position anymore. It was all put together. My wife is one of the people that, is, that does the job of everything that's been put together for our district. Okay? So we go down there and, and we're riding. I'm riding beside him one day. He didn't ride in our group um, all the time, but this one day in particular, he's riding and we're riding along. And, and, he, and he, out of the blue, he just says to the four or five guys that are riding together, he says, you know, I hate riding bicycles. And at that moment, we we're all like, yeah, but he meant, he meant overarching. Like, I love to bike. I love to bike. I don't always like it while I'm biking because of some of the circumstances, like 100-degree weather. But, but he said, I don't like to bike. He said, when they, when they talked to me, when the superintendent talked to me about being the district youth director, I asked them, do I have to do this? Because they have been doing it for 10 years, and it was about three or four years ago he became the district youth director. And he asked the leadership, he said, do I, do I have to do this bike ride if I became district youth director and they said yes it's part of your job description they bought him a very nice bicycle to do this because he didn't even have a bike he'd never been a cyclist and um he said but i don't like to ride my bike i've never liked to to bicycle it's not a thing i'd like to do he said every now and then i'll get a mountain bike and just like go through the you know rolling hills he said but i don't like to bike he said, but it's my job, so I had to do it. And he said, the first year I cycled, he said, I was really worried. Could I do this? 100 miles a day, five days, can I physically do this? And he said, and I train and train and train, although he only had like a month and a half the very first year. Like he gets hired, a month and a half later is the ride. They buy him a bike and say, we'll see you in a month and a half, you know. So um, he says, so I'm training, I, I, do the, I do the ride, and it was difficult, but at the end of the 500 miles, he said, I accomplished it, and I realized that I could do it. He so said, now I've got a whole nother year to the next ride. He said, but I hate to cycle. I don't like this. I don't like to road bike, even if I do cycle. And he goes through all this stuff, and we're listening because we're like, this is, you're in charge of this thing. He said, but then it dawned on me. He said, I physically, I can do this. I knew I could. So the next year, he said, all that year I trained. And he said, this is my training regiment now every year. He says, I'm not training to make sure that I can get through hundred miles a day for five days. He says, I know I can do that. He said, now I train so that I will be strong enough that I can help others finish the race, not just me. And I'm, and I'm riding my bike at the time and I thought that is, that is one of the best statements about Christian living I've ever heard in my life. That once I get to a point where I know I mean, I'm still going to have difficulties. I'm still going to struggle. I'm still going to stumble along the way. But I know that I love God. I know that I'm serving Jesus Christ and I am going to get to heaven. I know that I'm going to run this race the way God wants me to run it. I'm not I'm not struggling with that on a daily basis. Doesn't mean you're still not going to be tempted to sin and things, but you guys understand what I'm saying. There comes a moment in your Christian walk when you know me and Jesus are doing this, we're doing this together, and I'm going to marry him someday. Right? When that's the case, you have an obligation to make sure others finish. Not just you. This isn't just about you serving Jesus Christ. It's about other people serving Jesus also. That's part of our mission statement. The second half of our mission statement at the church that I am going to supernaturally bring as many others along as possible. Because that's my responsibility. Because why? I'm not just loving God. I'm loving others as I love myself. It's the as I love myself part that I think we struggle with. We We can say I love others and we can define that in many, many different ways. But as I love myself, it's amazing how smart Jesus is. That that's the qualifier he puts on loving others. As I love myself, that I'm going to take care of myself, I'm going to provide for myself, all these other things, I'm going to do what's, what potentially, I'm going to do what's best for me. That's the way we're supposed to love other people. This is why this goofy idea of love that the church has come up with nowadays that we love people, but we don't ever say anything confrontational. We don't ever talk about sin. We don't ever confront any kind of issues in their life that are destroying them, killing them, destroying their marriages and everything else. This this, this, this is bizarre to me that the church calls that loving. When really it's just getting people in the building. It's not loving. I, I was thinking about this a couple days ago and my phone popped up something about, and I don't know if this has already happened or it's about to happen because... I don't care. But I, this popped up on my phone that the Friends TV show, there was a reunion that happened. I don't know if it was that recent or not recent. or I don't know. Either way. They were talking about this, this reunion. All the Friends people got together and, and redid the show. I don't know. So, <clears throat> but I got to thinking about this. Because I remember watching Friends some when I was, this was, um, the show started late, when I was a late youth pastor, or early pastor, that time frame of my life. And, and I remember watching where the guys, the three guys, Joey and the other two, um, they, they were sitting in the living room watching pornography on the TV. And the girls were sitting there with them, kind of bored, and they thought it was stupid. But they were were making this something that this is just what you do as an adult. You can just watch pornography. It's okay. It's cool. It's acceptable. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, watching this, this, this is one of the most destructive things in our society. It is one of the most destructive things that exist. And we're making it funny, we're entertaining ourselves with it, we're watching them watch it, and it's no big deal, and and it is one of the darkest, most evil, destructive things that can happen, and it destroys lives, marriages, all kinds of things. It It is the fuel behind human trafficking, everything, and we're just making it casual. And this is, it's no big deal, everybody watches that show, everybody does. And this is the thing that gets me. And there's tons of these over the years where you can go back at different times and tons now. That that I, I used to talk about the, the you know, friends, they would watch pornography, and then the like the show Game of Thrones came out, and it actually is pornography. And and everybody just watches it. When, when, when does the church say, no, that's not okay? That is destroying you. That is destroying your soul. It's destroying your life. And we just, well, whatever. You know, it's just TV. It's not real. I've seen body parts. Those are real. They will affect you. They will affect your marriage. They're real. Just because it's on TV or on a movie, we say, well, it doesn't matter. Guys, when do we love people enough to say that is not okay? I'll give you one that that, that's kind of a core of this is spouses. Do you love your spouse enough to say that's not okay? Don't watch that. I've mentioned this before. I don't I don't watch that kind of stuff. My my weakness is if I'm watching a movie with lots of explosions and fighting, which God's okay with um, because it's not real. But lots of explosions and fighting and stuff like that. It's almost, it's almost, you cannot have a movie like that without having cussing. And my wife will keep me straight. Turn on a movie and the first time it's cussing, she starts having seizures over there on the couch. Why? She just looks at me, pastor, are you going to keep watching this? Pastor? She never calls me pastor in a good way. And so I turned the movie off. Partly because the Holy Spirit is convicting me, but the big shovel behind the Holy Spirit convicting me is named Linda. (laughs) But here's the thing. That's okay. If that's what it takes for me to turn the TV off, that's okay. Because she cares enough to speak something into my life. Because she really loves me. She's not just hoping that we just get along. In fact, I don't think that's a major priority of hers at all. <laughs> she loves me enough to speak truth into my life. Because the church has got to get this. We've got to get this. Jesus is very strong about loving each other, but he does it counterculturally. And I'm talking counterculturally today. Truly loving each other, loving each other to truth. That's more important than loving each other to some feeling or something else. Ephesians chapter five, verse one: Imitate God. Therefore, in everything you do, because you're his dear children. Imitate God. That's a pretty lofty goal. Imitate God in everything you do. Well, he explains to us how we do this. I can't imitate um, all-knowing, all-present, all-powerful. I can't imitate that. But he says, this is how you imitate God. You live a life filled with love. Following the example of Christ. Jesus loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. That's how you imitate God, is you love people to the point of complete sacrifice of yourself. Love people. Care about people. That's difficult. It's easy to say it when you're surrounded by people that you like. Right? If, if I'm sitting with my family at lunch and somebody steps up and says, love those around you. I'm like, no problem. I like my kids. I like being around my kids. I don't have a problem loving my kids. But, but that's not, God doesn't usually say that. That's not how in his list of the, the people you should be loving. Because he knows we already kind of get that. Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Owe nothing to anyone. Now, this is not necessarily talking about finances. I don't think finances are, are disqualified here. But the whole context before this is relationships and authorities in your life and all this other stuff. I don't think that, that he is specifically talking about finances. All, although other scripture would back up the fact that, that owing nothing to people is a strong place to live in life. Right? One of, the, one of the most destructive things you can do in your personal financial life is to get credit card debt, specifically higher interest credit card debt, because now you're paying somebody else money for the privilege of using your own money. That makes no sense. Try to get out of debt. Try not to have any kind of interest-bearing debt, anything, you know, cars and houses. That's about all that you should have. But a goal to work for even in cars and your house, but a goal for work for in cars is get a car paid off. People gave me a hard time about my Jeep, my previous one, not my new one, but um, my previous Jeep because it was always breaking down and things like that. Okay, but I also drove that Jeep for 17 years. You know how many car payments I didn't pay? I don't, but it was a lot. Owe nothing to anyone. I think he's talking about relationships primarily. Look at this. Except for your obligation to love one another. Now Jesus says that it is a commandment to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Paul is backing this up here and he's saying that you are obligated. It is a debt that you have. You are obligated to love each other. Why are you obligated? Why is there a debt to love each other? Because Jesus loved you first and because he loved you so much, he gave his life for you. But here's the, here's the other half of that. He also gave his life for the other person, whether you like them or not, whether they have treated you right or not. Jesus gave his life for them too. And you have an obligation because of Jesus's love for you to love them. That is a, that is a debt that you have. You've got to love other people. If you love your neighbor, you fulfill the requirement of God's law. So in other words... If you don't love your neighbor, you are not fulfilling God's law. You're being disobedient. This is how you fulfill God's law. You love your neighbor. For the commandments say, now he's about to give a list of stuff, but these are directly related to this sentence, loving your neighbor, the obligation that you have, the debt you have of loving your neighbor. And then he starts this list and it appears that it's separate, except every single one of these are directly relatable to whether you are loving your neighbor. He says, for the commandments say, you must not commit adultery. What is committing adultery? It is the, it is the epitome of of self-love to the, to the detriment of other people. You have a spouse that you are not loving if you commit adultery. And there's no way you can argue that. You are not loving your spouse if you commit adultery. You are only loving yourself and you're not loving yourself in a godly way. You're loving yourself in a broken way, in a perverted way, in a, in a narcissistic way. And you also are not loving that other person. You are, you, are, you are having a relationship with another person that is destructive against God's law, God's plan for your life, your marriage, which God instituted, all these other things. And you are using another person to fulfill some kind of, of um, selfishness, some kind of uh, lust thing going on inside of your existence that's not godly. And you're using another person to do that. That means you don't love them either. You are using a person and you're destroying another person your spouse in the process, and this is why it's directly related. He says that loving your neighbor is fulfilling God's law. Loving your neighbor, you can't you can't be committing adultery and loving God and loving your neighbor. He says um, you must not murder. I, I don't think I have to explain that in a lot. You probably are not loving the person you're murdering. You must not steal somebody steals they're taking something from from somebody else they're 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 not respecting that this was something that that um so Lynn and I when we first moved here nine years ago a few months after we'd been here uh somebody came up to the church while during service broke in our car and got our registration and now they know where we live and so they knew we were here so they went to our house and they broke into our house and stole everything we had okay so we're processing that. We're walking upstairs and standing in our in our bedroom and and every drawer of every dresser, cabinet, everything was just taken out and thrown on the floor. And they were looking for something of value. Our closet, everything they had taken was just scooped off into the floor. They had thrown things around looking, I guess, I guess looking in my socks to see if I'm hiding stuff in my socks. I don't know. But everything was on the floor. Cabinets all through the house were open. Kitchen drawers just taken and dumped on the floor. All kinds of stuff. And everything was wrecked. Everything. And we're walking through that and we'd called the cops. And in, in a very short five hours, they were going to be there. And we're, we're working through all of this. Lynn and I are processing this. And, um, and, you know, I'm trying to be a good husband and try to help, you know, process what she's thinking. Because it wasn't probably what I was thinking. And so I was, I was trying to emote And help her emote, and so I I said, "I I bet you feel violated, maybe scared, because that's I've seen that of movies before." So I'm thinking this is what I'm supposed to say, right? That's not what I was feeling. I wasn't feeling violated or scared. I was nothing but angry. And she said, she stopped there for a second. She said, "No, I, I don't. I don't feel scared, and I don't feel violated." She said, I am extremely angry, and I want a gun. And I said, you are so hot right now. <laughs> and I got her a gun. And I asked her, I said, so you could shoot somebody that the broken of the house and start you know, trying to attack her. You could shoot her. And she said, I would have no problem. When when you steal from somebody and and this was the thing, Lynn and I have been very poor at different times in our life. We've worked, we've done things in ministry and and it's always like this is the way God has used us before that we built something like we were youth pastors and and we we had built up a large youth group and we were being paid good for youth pastors and we resigned and went to be lead pastors of a church in Colorado here. And we we took a huge pay cut, almost 50% pay cut, started over the church about 20 people and we were so broke, I'm getting extra jobs and doing all this stuff. That church grew quite a bit, brought on staff. Our salary grew, all this other kind of stuff. Um, we resigned and went to another church. And that church had about 20 people in it. Started all over. Lynn and I know what it's like to not have anything. I mean, broke, broke. And, and she was walking around house saying, you know what? We worked for this stuff. We worked for years for this stuff to just do, And somebody says, well, I don't care. I don't care about you. I don't care about anything like right or wrong. I'm going to break into your house and I'm going to steal something. Because why? I want to. I, I think they should spend many years in prison with no jacuzzis or ping pong tables or TVs, just a brick wall to stare at with my name written on it that said you stole from Scott and just put that on there and let him sit there for 20 years. thats I mean, I'm good with that. Just letting you know my heart there. He says you must not covet. You know what coveting is? Not wanting something like what somebody else has. It's wanting what somebody else has. Those are different things. You see a nice car driving. ooh, I wouldn't mind a car like that. There's a difference between saying I want their car Coveting. This is, you, you realize coveting is used in, in relationship to um, uh, adultery. That you're coveting somebody else's wife. That's one of the ways that, that this scripture is used. You're, wanting, you're not wanting a wife. You're wanting their wife. That's a, that's a total different subject. All of this is about relationship. All of it's about love. Then he says, these and other such commandments are summed up in this one commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. Now look at this sentence. Love does no wrong to others. Guys, we've got to let the Holy Spirit work on us about this. You say, well, I don't, I don't do wrong to others. Love does no wrong to others, either mentally, emotionally, spiritually, or physically. Love does no wrong to others. What about that person that cuts you off in traffic? Do you love that person? I, I know this is like picking, but this is reality. We say things like, well, love, love, you know, love is patient, love is kind, love, doesn't keep record of wrongs and all this stuff, it, unless we need it to, like the person that cut us off in traffic. And then I can keep a record of wrong. Until I drive up by, Lynn and I have this thing, we, talk, we call it the uh, look. Did you give them the Look. Right? Because when somebody does something wrong to you in traffic, you drive beside them. When you get right beside them, they're like, Rub it. and then you just go. That's the look. And she'll ask me, did you give them the look? I gave him the look. We keep no, love keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't wrong others. Because this is, this is real Christianity. This is why I say that what Jesus says is countercultural in any time in history, the things that we can get so upset about and so angry about and and react. Now, there's there's nothing wrong with, with getting upset about something that is wrong, but how we react and what we say and what we do will determine whether we are truly loving people and also truly loving God. Love does no wrong to others, so love fulfills the requirements of God's law. I was thinking about this with some of the stuff with Afghanistan, the Taliban, and the 20-year uh, remembrance of 9-11 and some of these kind of things. Do you realize that all the people on the earth are created in God's image just like I am, and that we are all related to each other? I know we, have, we, we look at it as different bloodlines and ethnicities and skin colors and all this kind of stuff. But, guys, there was, there was one start. It was Adam and Eve, and we all come from that. And, and we're all in this together, this, this humanity thing. We're all in this together. See, this is why science likes evolution, because evolution doesn't hold anybody accountable for how we treat other people. Because the only way we came to this, treat other people right, is through higher enlightenment, age of reasoning and understanding. And when you understand enough, then you understand the importance of treating other people right. That is not how we come to these conclusions. Evolution says, eat your neighbor. Right? Before they eat you, you eat your neighbor. Grill them up. But God's law, God's law says, love your neighbor. And he also says, love those who have done you wrong. There's nothing about society or evolution that will ever come to the conclusion to love people that hurt you. That's a God thing. That's a transcendent thought, and it's countercultural. Romans chapter 12, verse 9, don't just pretend to love others. Well, Paul's not pulling any punches here. Why does he say that? Because people pretend to love others. That's why he says it. This is one of the the resounding things through Scripture. When you read something in Scripture, one of the things that should go into your head as to what it means is part of the reason that it was written is because God knows knows we have a propensity to wrong here, whatever it is. If God says, um, don't murder, it's because humans have a propensity to murder. We don't have a propensity for good. We have a propensity for bad. That's why God wrote the stuff. And so he says... Don't just pretend to love others, really love them. Hate what's wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and t- take delight in honoring each other. Truly caring about people, caring about their soul, caring about their eternity, caring about their life. If they're caught up in all kinds of weird stuff and perversions and brokenness and adulteries and all this other stuff, we should care enough about them to pray and, and speak them out of that stuff talk to people, pray for people, and help them get out of the brokenness that they are doing to themselves. But, but in church world today, we, we, that's taboo. We just let them do what they're doing because we don't, we don't want to offend anybody. We, I, I'll give you an example of this. I said this to my staff years ago. I haven't said this in a long time, but I went through a time frame years ago when I, every time I got up to speak, my fly was open. And so I told my staff, If I get up to speak and my fly is open, you walk right up there in front of everybody and say, Pastor, your fly is open because I'm much more concerned that we fix the problem than whether I feel good at that moment. You know how many things we could apply to that right there? It's more important that I know truth It's more important that I fix the problem than just feel good temporarily. Because later I'm going to watch it online. I'm going to think, why did nobody say anything to me? Right? Think about when we step into eternity and and how many people are going to say, why didn't you say something? Did you not love me? Did you not care? Oh, I didn't want to offend you. Did you not love me? Did you not care? Oh, I didn't want to offend you. Those aren't the same thing. You've got to love people, truly love people. He says, never be lazy. It's amazing how much laziness comes up in the discussion of relationships in Scripture. Because laziness is self, it's selfish, self-focused. It's about you. Laziness um throws everybody else to the trash so that you get what you want. Laziness is not just I don't like to do things. Laziness is I care more about me than I care about others. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. Keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Always be eager to practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Starts ramping it up here. Bless those who persecute you. Not just your friends and your family, but bless those who have done something specifically wrong to you that you did not deserve. Bless those people. <clears throat> Guys, this is difficult. It's easy to say it. It's easy to read it. But then we have to apply it, and it gets very difficult. He says, don't curse them. Pray that God will bless them. Be happy with those who are happy and weep with those who are, that weep. I had a guy years ago, I was sitting in a, in a meeting, in a breakfast, and he was talking about this relative of his that had done some very horrible things to somebody else, not to him. But, but, um, and he says, I, I will never forgive this person, ever. And the reason he said it is because we were talking about forgiveness. And he says, that person does not deserve my forgiveness, and I'm never going to give it to him. And I thought, you do not understand forgiveness if you say that. First, nobody deserves forgiveness. And when you forgive something, it ha- somebody, it has nothing to do with them. It has zero to do with them. You are releasing yourself from the chains. You're not releasing them from anything. You're not releasing them from accountability or obligation to to right and wrong or any of that kind of stuff. God's going to hold them accountable. What you're doing is you're releasing yourself. You're taking the chains off yourself because as long as you don't forgive them, they own you. They own you for the rest of your life. And all of the pain and the hurt... They just keep redoing it, redoing it, redoing it. They can be dead, and the pain and the hurt, they're still redoing it, redoing it, because you're redoing it. Let it go. Bless the people that have hurt you. Move on. here's Here's one way to say it. They're not worth it. You say, isn't that kind of the opposite way? No. They're not worth you holding on to this. Let it go, let them go, and you move on to a better life. You let them stay wherever they are. You move on. Let the chains go. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people. I struggle with that one a lot. And I ask the Lord, Lord, help me. I'm surrounded by ordinary people. (laughs) I don't even know for sure what that means because I don't know what non-ordinary people I think what he's saying is like uh, like, uh, uh, important people in society like wealthy or I don't know but you know whatever so don't be too proud to enjoy the company of ordinary people and don't think you know it all I've never struggled with that never pay back evil with more evil Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. These are very difficult things, and Paul is just rattling them off here. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the Scriptures say, I will take revenge and I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. I was living under that mantra for a few years, and then I realized that if that's your goal, you've missed the point. Right? I used to tell people that. No, just, just let everything go, and then they will have coals on their head like, yeah, that's how you can get them. And that's not really what the Scripture is trying to say. <laughs> I, that was a epiphany. I was like, oh, yeah, you're okay. I get it. All right. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Three things I wrote down here loving God comes from our relation, loving people comes from our relationship with God. You realize loving people is not determined by the people, it's determined by you. You decide whether you love. That has nothing to do with other people, it has nothing to do with who you're loving, it has to do with God, you and God. I'm going to love God, and therefore I will love other people. The more I love God and I let him love me, the more I will love other people. Unless my loving God is some kind of weird narcissistic thing the church has created now where it's loving people so that I feel good about it. And, and if we change loving God into that, then we can actually love God and not love other people because we've tricked ourselves into something that's not really loving God. But when you really love God and you let his love flow into your life and his grace and mercy flow into your life, you will begin to care about other people. It will naturally happen. It automatically happens. The second thing is that loving others conquers evil. Best way you can stamp out what Satan is trying to do in your life or against you or your family or something else is you love others. You forgive others. You pray for others. And it's amazing how the claws are taken out of Satan. He can't can't mess with you anymore. This this is one of the ideas behind confessing your sins. Confessing your sins to other people take Satan's claws out to uh, spiritually, emotionally blackmail you, to manipulate you. You confess your sin and it's out on the table. Then he can't hurt you. He can't use it against you because people know. Right? Third thing is loving others lays the foundation for salvation. That's what John 3.16 is about. God loved you so much that he gave Jesus for you and I. That's, that's, That's a lot of love. That's a whole lot of love. So I want to go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, end it with this. And this is This is something that I think we have to have a a healthy understanding. When this was written, we did not have this idea of occupational ministry like we do today. In other words, guys like me didn't exist. There there was no, like, paid pastors of churches kind of mentality, okay? Now, I I don't want us to do away with this mentality. I think it's a good one. But this was written in a different context of time that that people of authority in your life were people that were ministering to you. They were they were family members. They were they were friends and neighbors. You were ministering to people, they're ministering to you. There's accountability to people, there's accountability to you, all this other kind of stuff. Okay? When we understand that, it helps us understand this scripture. First Thessalonians five verse twelve. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. Not not paid guys like me but people that God has put in your life as spiritual leaders. Now hopefully I am that also in people's lives. But not because I have a pastoral title, but because I'm a Christian that is trying to help other people along the way. I, can, I know I'm gonna finish this race, I know I'm riding it well, and so my job is to help others finish. So that's the, the people we're talking about. And, and all of us here are in these categories at different levels. Dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. They work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. Show them respect. When somebody is trying to speak into your life, show them respect. It doesn't mean that they're right about everything. This, this is something on, on, on the bike ride also. I started getting a lot of questions. We were sitting around one night and, and talking and over dinner, and all these guys with, with a Children were talking about parenting, and then they all kind of looked to me and said, well, your kids are all grown. What do you think about all this? And so I, I did the best I could to help them with that. Half of what i probably most of what I was saying was, well, don't do this. And, boy, I really messed up this one, and, and I said wrong things here. It was more not what to do than what to do. But it, it dawned on me, not only was it dawned on me that I'm older than most everybody that was there, but the other thing is, is I have gone through this and I have some experience. I have right and wrong experience, but I have experience. As some of you that are parents, your kids are grown. You need to be speaking to these younger parents' lives. Now, I know there's a difficulty here because, quite honestly, you know, 25 to 30-year-old parents aren't really open to a lot of uh, older people speaking into their life. I get that but I don't think that's the case around here. I think we've got some very open people in our, in our church here that are younger that would love for some of you older guys and, and ladies to come alongside and say, hey, let me help you with marriage. Let me help you with, with parenting. It doesn't mean they're right about everything. It just means they have information. Try to glean. Try to understand. Try to get something. Learn. People that have been Christians longer than you learn some things. doesn't mean they're right about everything, but you can learn. This this is what he's talking about. We We have to respect each other. We have to trust each other. Show them great respect and wholehearted love because of their work. And live peacefully with each other. Brothers and sisters, we urge you to warn those who are lazy. Again, relationships and laziness. Encourage those who are timid. Take tender care of those who are weak. Be patient with everyone. See that no one pays evil back, evil for evil, but always try to do good to each other and to all people. Now, we, most of what we have read through Scripture this morning is common sense, but it is so difficult to apply sometimes. Well, we're going we're gonna to try to actively apply this a little bit this morning, so why don't you stand with me? And I was I was thinking about how we can how can we pray effectively about this? And and um I, I kind of had a, a, a I think the Holy Spirit showed me this. And I was thinking, you know, if, if we're not gonna put any parameters to it, but if you're if you're saying, you know, I think I just need somebody to pray with me. The about what is not as important for this as the the prayer mentality. Okay? Another way to say this in context of what I'm talking about this morning is I need somebody just to stand with me. I need somebody just to be with me right now in whatever in this issues of life or this is going on or whatever. I just need somebody to be with me and stand with me and pray with me. Um, If that's you, you're saying, I just really need that. I really need a partner. Just to stand beside me right now in this spiritual walk. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. Yeah, yeah. Anybody else? Yeah, quite a bit. Okay. All right. So here's what I want to do. Um, I kind of tricked you there. So I want you to come down front. If you raise your hand, and I saw, and God saw you raise your hand. So don't be scared. I'm joking a little bit about it, but guys, we really do need each other. And come down and stand along the front real close here because we're going to have people come behind you and stand behind you. You say, I'm just, at, I'm just at a place in life right now where I just need somebody to pray with me. They don't have to know what. Unless you want to tell them, they don't have to know what. Just somebody with you. I've been praying before, and somebody just walk up and put their hand on me. I have no idea what I'm praying about. Just the fact they put their hand on me and they're praying with me changed my world. And I think sometimes we need that. And I also think there's some of you out there that should be up here. I, God didn't speak to me about that. I don't know who you are. But I, I just, I believe that. I'm going to wait a few more seconds for you to get boldness and step out and come down here. All right. Um, I need some of you to join us down here and pray for these guys and girls, okay? So come stand beside them, behind them. Um, Put your hand on their shoulder so that they know you're there. And then we're just going to pray. Also, grab the hand of the person next to you if you're still standing out there. Grab the person of the hand next to you so that you pray for them too and that you're standing with them also, right? God, we we just lift up. First, we just lift up this moment to you that, God, you're the king. You're the king of everything. You created me. You created every one of us in this room. You created every one of us in Colorado Springs, across the planet. We're creating your image. God, you designed us in your image, to have relationships. God, you designed us to to be connected to people. I know it looks different for every person. God, I know this. Because at the end of this thing, you're going to have us marry Jesus Christ, the the most connected of intimate relationships we can have. And that's how you designed us to be. So, God, we need each other. We need each other. So Holy Spirit, the same thing you did when Jesus breathed on the disciples, we ask you just to flow through this place and we receive your spirit. We receive your spirit. We receive your plan, your word, your will. We receive truth. And so God, we pray for the people that are standing beside us right now. They need you. I need you. I need to pray for them. They need to pray for me. God, so we lift up. We lift up our people. We lift up each other. Lord, we pray your peace, your purpose, your forgiveness, spirit of freedom, God, and we pray your blessing that you would consume us with you. We pray your joy. As you spoke to us earlier, God, we pray your joy for every person in this room. Not temporal happiness, but God, true joy that becomes our strength and peace that goes beyond understanding. How do we pray these things? Lord, I pray for your gospel to go to those in this room, every person in this room. And that, Lord, that every person in this room will also take the gospel to others. Because we love people. In Jesus' name. Because we love people. We thank you. We thank you. So, Lord, bless us with your presence. Bless us with your spirit. Give us an opportunity this week to tell somebody about you, and we'll take it. Do the best we can to tell them. We pray all this for your glory, Lord God, in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Speaking of relationship, commitment, Tonight at my house is the journey. If you're coming, please let me know. If you've already emailed, we know. But uh, 5 o'clock to 8 o'clock, we serve dinner, and we talk about the Bible. So we'll see you then. Just let me know so we know we have enough food. Um, and If not, we'll see you Wednesday night. Have a great rest of your afternoon. And uh, tell somebody about Jesus this week.